0: Coming up on Something Is About To Happen. preach to you for a moment God is interested in our generation he's interested in the church of this hour he's interested in the church of this season because the church is his body and it's his agency to do his will to prophesy his purpose and to train a generation in the world as to what God expects of them but in spite of his attention given to this generation his particular focus is on you I want you to text four or five people the title of this message, and it is simply, make the shift, colon, the case study is David. Make the shift, David. We are in a shift. We as a planet are in a shift, particularly those of us who are in the fold of the great shepherd of the flock, Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. You must now be truly defined as sheep who hear his voice, not just what he said in the last shift, but what he's saying in this shift. Otherwise, we will get caught behind and we will miss the opportunity of being carried by the wave of God, by the wake of God as he shifts us into new modus operandi, into new understanding, into a better understanding of the fact that he's no longer doing things the way they used to be done before, but it's a whole new way of life. So it was like the Israelites who were shifted out of slavery into ownership, shifted out of servitude into inheritance, shifted out of being beaten into now leading, shifted out of being under another nation into building their own nation themselves. It is literally the end of an epoch and the beginning of a new epoch. And it's important to grasp and understand that when a new epoch begins, you have to renew your mind because the old way of doing things is not going to work in many scenarios, in many circumstances. The old way that we became so accustomed to operating will no longer be viable to produce the productivity and the results that we need in this time because my friend when there's a shift the way you used to do things before you won't necessarily be able to do all of them the same way again and it brings me to our text in first Samuel chapter 16 and verse 1 God warns the prophet Samuel of an imminent shift and he says to the prophet Stop crying about this old guy called Saul. Uh, Don't you see that I have rejected him from reigning over my country? Now take your horn of oil, fill it and go. I will send you to Jesse of Bethlehem for I have provided myself a new leader from among his sons. Jesse had eight sons and the mandate and the mantle for kingship belong to the tribe of Of Judah but no Judean had yet risen to the throne because of a particular reference in Genesis 49 and verse 10 and I want you to read it together with me and there in Genesis 49 and verse 10 the Bible says the scepter meaning the staff of monarchical government for Israel will not depart from Judah meaning that the Judeans will always provide the king of Israel hallelujah that means uh, that the people who have determined in their heart uh, Yehuda, which is the full pronunciation of the name Judah which means uh, let God be praised. That people will always be the ones. Who bring forth a king. From between their legs. It's from their loins. That the king will arise. Those who have learned to respect God. And to revert him above all else. That deify themselves. Or are deified by men. And he says that that governing scepter. Will not depart from Judah. Nor the lawgiver, The ruler from between his feet. Until Messiah. Shiloh comes and unto him shall the gathering of the people be and so what he's saying here is that Judah will always present the king but Judah was not yet ready and we must examine why Judah was not yet ready for that we must go to Deuteronomy chapter 23 and verse 2 Deuteronomy 23 and verse 2 and let's look at what the scripture says an illegitimate child Or a bastard shall not enter into the congregation, the assemblage. Of Jehovah let me pause what he's saying here is simply this that when the assembly comes it comes in order of senior cater monarch at the top his cabinetry his priesthood his prophets and then the captains of the tribes and then the people and when that assembly comes a bastard is not allowed and if he's not allowed at the bottom why should he be allowed at the top and God says when my people come together I will not allow anybody who is a bastard or a generation of the bastard up to 10 generations and for this reason because Judah was a lineage of bastards God could not allow the kingship to come from Judah until the 10 generations had passed why? because Judah lost his three sons and then his son's wife who was passed to each of them decided that you haven't put me back in the family way and like a prostitute she seduced him and took him to bed until she sighed for him in the family way Two children, Pharez and Hezron. Um, and what then happens subsequent is that for 10 generations, we go down the family line. I think I even have uh, some literature there that I can show you. They go through the family line uh, and Pharez by Tamar gives birth. Birth to Hezron or sires Hezron and then Ram and then Aminadab then Nashon and then Salmon and then you remember Boaz who married Ruth the Moabitess and then after Boaz uh, uh, together Ruth and Boaz sired Obed Obed was the father of Jesse and Jesse was the father of eight sons of which one of them was appointed to be king and up until that generation Generation, the door to Judah arising to her role as the one who would carry the scepter from whom government of Israel will never depart up to that point the door was closed and here is David unaware that a door has opened but he's oblivious to it unaware that an opportunity has presented but he's oblivious to it he's just carrying on with his own life doing his daily duties and carrying on with his mother. Mundane manner looking after his father's sheepfold, and because there's a little question mark with David, he's the ostracized child, he's the rejected child, and yet God still has a plan for him, he has a plan for the whole generation, but he has a particular focus on David. Can I preach to you for a moment? God is interested in our generation, he's interested in the church of this hour, he's interested in the church of this season because the church is his body and it's his agency to do his will, to prophesy his purpose and to train a generation in the world as to what God expects of them. But in spite of his attention given to this generation, his particular focus is on you. If that's you that I'm talking about right now, you should be sensing a great oil, an anointing oil coming from the horn of God himself, pouring out upon you and instigating your gifts and a reconsecration of your life to the best purposes of god to the plan of god till you push everything else aside and everything loses its importance that what is important is that you know that you are the temple of the holy god if you don't believe it say nothing but if you do i want you to write me a text right now and say pastor you're preaching to me if you can't write preaching right pastor you're prophesying me can I go a little further and so now uh, because of the curse of the bastard uh, uh, the door is closed to the line of Judah and Judah is impoverished until God decides he's going to reintroduce wealth into their clan and about the time of Boaz wealth begins to return to the lineage so that by the time Boaz sires Obed and Obed brings up Jesse they have become agricultural industrialists which means they have some means now. Which means somehow they are going to show. Can I preach to somebody for a half minute? Uh, they had your grandfather and your great grandfather and your four beers hidden behind the shadows but the devil is a liar. In your generation you will show. Oh, somebody shout, Abel God show yourself. Uh, I feel the power of the Holy Ghost. Yet Israel well, uh, once a king but a king uh, from Judah is not available yet and they got what they wanted and they chose a tall dark-skinned handsome guy who looked like a king talked like a king but he didn't have the heart of a king and he was appointed but he wasn't the choice of God look closely at this shift uh, from Benjamin uh, the tribe that was not supposed to produce kings uh, uh, to Judah the tribe for whom it was predesignated that this is where the kings will come from From Benjamin chosen by man to Judah chosen by God. From Benjamin rejected by God to Judah celebrated by men. Uh, From Benjamin an old wineskin to David from Judah a new wineskin with new wine. God was about to make the shift. Can I prophesy to somebody this morning you felt left behind you felt marginalized and forlorn and forsaken but what you didn't know is that God is orchestrating a shift in your favor. He's about to shift things so well and so mightily because he has his whole hip on top of the entire circle of not only the universe but of all the earth. It's up under his control and he's shifting everything because he has you in mind yes I know you did some bad things I know you come from a long line of perpetrators of weakness and sin and iniquity but God is touched with the feeling of your infirmity because he himself he will take a body and and in that body he will be tried as you are tried sit where you sit be tested where you are tested so he knows how to give you sucker when you go through your trials. He knows that the thing that makes you very bad is the appetite for something very good. And if that very good thing is not presented to you properly, but only presented to you as a caricature, the enemy has an opportunity to seduce you. But God said, I know you. I know where you are. I'm going to make a way where there is no way. I'll become a door to you in darkness. I'll become a way out where there seems to be nowhere i will draw a path between you and me so that you won't have to live life without me on your side if you believe it shout yeah and tell three people right now i feel the presence of god and so saul was not god's choice he was the people's choice In other words, he was merely a throne warmer until Judah would bring forth a king. And the country is now in trouble. Uh, uh, And now, because of misleadership in Israel, uh, exploitative forces, exploitative foes, uh, and exploitative exploitative nations uh, have started to ravage the land through all kinds of schemes uh, and isms and exploits uh, because they wanted to take advantage of the misleadership in the country and Samuel cries out to the Lord for the reformation of the soul of Saul the present king and he did so for two years and God retorts him and says to Samuel quit crying out to me for Saul. I have rejected Saul. Now fill your horn. That thing I use to identify to consecrate, to set apart, to ordain and to absolutely endorse the next in line and go to the house of Jesse for I have provided for myself a king among his sons and when God called this boy a king, he was only a boy because God knows how to call those things that are not as though they are and immediately or as soon as he needs them to be they will transform metamorphose and change exactly into what he called them because God doesn't tell him which of Jesse's sons it is he says you go to the house of Jesse and when you get there I will show you who it is now you would have thought that the whole house would be happy that one one of us is going to be blessed and when he blesses one of us it's not for the one it's for the benefit of all because if you go up David we're going up with you if you get in David we're getting in with you if you come into the largesse of this very gracious God who has chosen to be peaceful towards you we all get it with you David we're hitched to you from the hip we're from the same bloodline you can't get it without us because this is not a day thing this is a let God be praised thing this is a Yehuda thing this is a Judah thing give me a witness if you hear what I'm saying so Samuel cries out to God and he says God uh, uh, if I go to anoint a new king uh, Saul is going to kill me he said don't worry about that you go in the pretense of going to offer a sacrifice and so he says you go you go and when you get there do like your coming to do the sacrifice and when you set up the sacrifice do it in Jesse's house when you get to Jesse's house Jesse ask him to present his sons and so Samuel gets there and Jesse brings forth his first son he looks like a king he walks like a king he talks like a king he even dresses like a king he don't wear t-shirts and Samuel says surely surely the Lord's anointed is before him and God said shut up young man even though he put the horn over his head the wax filter refused to pop because the anointing knows to whom it belongs because the anointing can't work with just anybody it has to work with whom it was tailor made for and prophesied from ways back in Genesis 49 and verse 10 and he said to him don't do that boy for man looketh at the outward appearance but I look at the heart of man I want to ask you how's your heart Uh, your money may be in trouble but how's your heart Uh, your honey may be in trouble but how's your heart your transportation may be in trouble but how's your heart the economy may be in trouble but friend if the economy can change your heart for evil then you ain't the king but if no matter what happens in your life you still have a heart for God From the abundance of your heart, your heart still gives him glory. It still gives him praise. You might be the next royal family in town. And so God says, I've rejected him. He brings another son. Uh, He says, I rejected him too. Brings another son. And he passes seven sons before Samuel. And each of the seven looked like a king. Talked like a king, behaved like a king. But Samuel said of each of them, surely this must be the Lord's anointed. And Samuel was perplexed. Because Samuel here says, are, are, are these all your sons? Uh, because here they're bringing the number one preacher, the number one prophet, the high priest of the land. And the last head of government in Israel, the last judge of Israel, to the house. And yet, the dignitaries is around and all seven sons are invited, but they leave one out. Put your eye and your consideration on the one that men leave out because even when men push you to the outside it means nothing because what matters is not what men do it's what God does not what men say but what God says Men can push you wherever they want to but when God says you're the one there's nothing that anybody can do about it I don't care how powerful they are I don't care how much money they have I don't care how much authority or influence they have they can try to keep you on the outside but if God says you are the one there's nothing that anybody can do about it God knows how to cross his hand and reach for you even if they bury you in the parking lot or leave you outside of the circle and ostracize you from the creek my God knows how to fish for you and bring you when he wants to and when Samuel asked do you not have any other sons oh yes there's yet the youngest and he's busy cleaning the toilet sorry looking after the sheep. He said, bring him here. We will not sit down until he comes because he had done the mathematics that if there are eight children and seven are not the one I know that God does not lie that means there's only one son left and that son has to be the one I want you to beat your chest right now and tell somebody I must be the one, I must be the one you have to believe it if you're going to get it, you have to believe it if you're going to receive it, you have to believe it if you're going to understand it So here is David. He's been in isolation. Everybody else is with somebody. Everybody else is in the clique or a club. Everybody else is in the group, but David is all alone by himself. Have any of you been all alone? Yeah, all by yourself. I know some of us we have thousands of people around us, but when thousands don't understand what it feels like to be you, or your husband in the same bed as you doesn't know what you're going through in your heart and doesn't understand your pain, nor does he have any sensitivity to your anguish, Or it's your wife who doesn't understand what it feels like to be you. My friend, you are alone and as isolated as David was in the backside of the woods. And here he is in isolation. And it's a great place to be. Because whenever God wants to do something with anybody of significance, he normally leaves them alone with God. For those of you who have selected this time and decided that I'm going to spend this time with God. I'm going to spend this time with the invisible God this time is time for deep to call upon deep so that when he calls to my depths my shallow will not answer when he calls to my depth my medium will not answer but when he calls to my deep the very deep and depthness of who i am and what's buried in the potential of my possibility and purpose will answer to god and when he says will you go for me who will i say i will say yes lord here am i send me Because this is not the time for namby-pamby, pussy-footed, spaghetti wonders. This is a time when God is about to do something in the earth. And because he has no body, he's expecting you to be his body. He's expecting you to be his agent. He's expecting you to be his vessel. He's expecting you to do what he tells you to do. And what He you hear in your heart that he wants you to do. And so here is David in isolation. And in isolation he is painfully learning that... We dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. All other ground is sinking sand that is on Christ Jesus, the solid rock we stand. And it's here then that God says in 1 Samuel and also in Acts 13, 22. And he says, I have found David, a man after my own heart and when he says that what he's saying is that he's just a boy not yet 16 years old but he says he's a man doesn't just call him a man he says he's a king my friend God is calling you something that you are not yet but because he has called you that that is what you will become and so uh, here is David a minded king in front of his family members I want to explain explore a topic called validation for a few brief moments. Here is a guy who all of his life he's been talked down at because when everybody above you in the pecking order talks you down, talks bad about you, gives you the cold shoulder, leaves you out because they feel there's something funny or wrong with you, it's going to affect how you see yourself. But God in his infinite wisdom is aware of how poorly you feel and he knows that if you are going to be who he's called you to be and do what he's called you to do he must improve your sense of self value and so what he does is he brings the greatest voice in the world, the prophet whose word could never fall to the ground and he brings him In all the nearly 600,000 homes in Israel, he brings him to your daddy's house. So he'll always find people who when others talk you down, they will represent the voice of God and give you opportunity where you had no opportunity. Give you a chance where you had no chance. Give you a platform when you had no platform. Put you on a pedestal when all you had was the gutter. And here is Samuel in the house of Jesse. And then Samuel tells him, You are the next king bring me my horn and the horn of oil that refused to flow all of a sudden, it started to flow. And so, David has this anointing on his head, and it's the anointing of a king and it forecasts his future. So, whilst he's walking as 16, uh, he has these pictures of glory, of greatness, of profundity, of power, of leadership, of exploits. For it is written, Those that do know their God, they will be strong and they will do exploits. But the terrible thing is that with this kingly anointing on his life, he goes back to a mediocre job David goes back to shepherding sheep but help me and tell somebody right now God is still developing you for something when Samuel anointed David it was a call to shift From shepherding on one level to shepherding in a different level. Can I work it for a few moments? You remember a few weeks ago, I taught you about Jesus coming to call his disciples, and he said to two in a boat and to two in another boat, follow me and i will make you fishers of men and by that he was indicating that you're doing the right thing but it's no longer the right place to do it in other words i'm teaching you fishing in a fishing arena for fish in the waters but really my objective in your life is not only to teach you how to fish for fish but i'm going to use the same skills the same gifts to help you to start fishing for nations for fishing for swaths and ethnic groups of men for fishing for the kingdoms of men Ah, but I'm going to teach it to you in the laboratory when you perfect it there then I will shift you from fishing in waters of fish to fishing in waters of men so that you learn skills there but I won't do away with the skills but when I shift you you'll be able to use those skills on another level this is the same thing he's doing with David David is the shepherd of Israel he's learning how to protect a flock he's learning how to feed a flock he's learning how to clean up the excreter that a flock produces and still be the father of the flock and God says to him if you get it right on that level I'm going to shift you to another level and God is so pleased with how David is looking after the sheep protecting the sheep that when a lion comes after the sheep David the Lord protector he goes after the lion just shucks the lamb out of its mouth kills the lion to make sure the lion don't come back and God says I like this boy this ain't just the boy this is my kind of boy and just to make sure that David knew it wasn't a fluke because flukes do happen but when a fluke is not a fluke and it happens a second time then it is a pattern and if the pattern persists then it is a lifestyle and if the lifestyle persists then it is a destiny and if the destiny persists it's taking you to the top you will be the head only and not the tail above only and not beneath and the second time a beer dashes out of the thicket and lunges for the lamb but David says I've seen this before somebody's intentionally and deliberately training my skills to a place of mastery where I can practice till I become perfect and he goes after the beer breaks his jaw takes out the lamb, keeps it alive, and he slays the bear. I don't know who you are, but you've been practicing on the lion. You've had your practice on the bear something is about to happen. You've had your time protecting the sheep in the sheepfold, but something is about to happen. This is about where I want to tell you, buckle your seatbelt, pull out your ten pegs, enlarge your borders, roll out the chariots, saddle your horses, baby, because something, I do not know how to describe it. The enemy does not know how to defy it. Hell cannot stop it, but get ready, because my friend, the shift is on. It's not getting ready to come on. It's not soon going to come on the shift is on and if you don't get onto the shift now you are going to miss the bus to the next level of your life where God takes the entire responsibility of shifting you into what you shall be who you were created to be what you are called to do if that's you I don't care who's sitting beside you in your house open your mouth throw your shoulders back and shout yeah, yeah. Because he's about to shift, David. Uh, That God is about to shift you to another dimension. And there is one day that becomes most significant in the unfolding of the days of your life. In the chapters of your book, your biography. And I want to announce to somebody this morning that your one day. Is not many days from now. It may not look like it. It may not seem like it. It may not sound like it, but your one day is nearby. There is a particular day in the unfolding of your destiny when you will be most transformed in a way that you'll never be able to go back to being who you used to be, but you will always be what God has called you to be. In the lexicon, they call it a watershed moment. Others call it a most significant defining moment. Some call it uh, the crossing of the Rubicon. I don't know what you want to call it but I want to call it that one day. And the problem is you never know which day it is because God doesn't make a difference in the days until it is the day because he expects you to do like David did and to sing like David sang. This is the day every day that the Lord has made and whether it feels like a good day or a bad day I will rejoice in it because this is the day this is the day that the Lord has made that the Lord has made I will rejoice I will rejoice and be glad in it for Go ahead sing I will rejoice and be glad in it For this is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made. Shout at five people out with a text or an SMS or a WhatsApp message or an Instagram post and tell them your one day is coming and it can be any day from now. In the hall, I want you to go to somebody but keep social distance and tell them that one day is any day from now, it's on its way to you. And so hear me carefully, Jesse sends David to the battle David wakes up in the morning and hear what happens when he wakes up his dad sends him. He says, "I want you to go to the battlefront and see how your your three brothers are fearing, because they had been recruited into Saul's army. They had been to the academy. And they're now on the front lines." And David uh, says, "All right, Dad, whatever you want me to do." But notice that if David had started murmuring and complaining uh, that those wicked guys, uh, why should I go and help them out? He would have missed his moment. Uh, David wasn't called to go to the battle to fight. Uh, He was called like a busboy, a messenger, a servant, a a steward. Whereas everybody else there, they were warriors armed with, with machetes and swords and javelins. And he says, dad, I'll go anyways. You never know what assignment is going to lead you to destiny's dawn. You never know what stewardship that God is operating you in that's eventually going to lead you to the place of promise. And David says, I'm going. He had no bazooka, he had no shield, he had no jab, and all he had was a bag with food in it. And he arrives at the battlefront and he sees that for 39 days and at least 12 hours, Goliath the giant of Philistine has Tormented them and said, We will be your servants if you can find one man who will take me on. And so he represents a giant problem to the nation. He stands ten feet tall, less about three inches. That means he's nearly four feet taller than I am, and at least four times wider than I am. His shield was taller than me. His javelin was the size of a weaver's beam. That he had to have an adjutant hold his shield. For for him and he said if you can find one man amongst you who can take me on we will all be your slaves and if you beat us we will be subjugated to you but if if you beat us we will be your slaves and the thing that bothers me is that Joab was there Uh, uh, Abner was there, Saul, a champion himself, he was there. The mighty men of Israel, the warriors at war, who had a long history of God being on their side. From the generations dating back to the Exodus from Egypt, not one of them was ready to die for Israel, or to die in the name of the Lord. Not one of them, 39 days. They all had 39 chances, and David only had one. at 39 days. David only had one. David arrives and he said, what does this thing mean? That an uncircumcised Philistine will defy the most powerful power in the universe. Oh, it's not Israel. But the most powerful power in the universe has said concerning Israel, you are the apple of my eye. Meaning that if you touch Israel, you're touching me the almighty God, where well, I go take it lying down. And you see, when you're God's child, you have to know that, that you are so precious to him that God helped the person who harms you without his permission. And here is David. He says, I can do this. Shout at four people now. Tell them, I can do this. Tell them, oh, you ain't saying it like you believe it. Look, Look to somebody. Tell them, I can do this. I can build that house. I can buy that industry. I can buy over that gas plant. I can build that refinery. I can take over my sector. I can do this. I hear Paul say the same thing. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Can't do it by myself but there's a power beyond all power that's working within me. I hear Paul declare now unto him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly far above all that we ask or think. Listen carefully. According to the power that worketh within us there's a power in you friend that what you can't do by yourself God will do using you what you can't do with your uncle your auntie and your money God without their help he'll show you that your help comes from God if you don't believe it say nothing but if you do shout able God show yourself oh I didn't hear you say it again able God yourself. For my friends I want to tell you in the last few moments I have your God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly what you could never do by yourself he can take you to the top from the bottom, he can take you ahead from behind, he can make a nobody a somebody he can make you bring down what other men and generals could not bring down my problem with the story is that all these mighty men of Israel not one of them could do it. And so my consideration is that Goliath wasn't the problem because if all the men I look up to are unwilling to take on the giant it's going to affect my psychology but shout at somebody and tell them God has been building me so that what other men think and the posturing other people take will not affect my psychology because like Paul I know in whom I have believed and I am fully persuaded That he's able to keep what I have committed to him against that day. Somebody shout, this is that day. And so David keeps talking. And his brother says, you rude little nincompoop. What are you doing with those little sheep back there in the fold? That you've come out here to spy out the battle, you cheeky little brat. But what Eliab did not respect was the prophetic voice of God. Some months earlier, when in his very face, God spoke through the prophet and anointed David the next king but Eliab didn't want to respect it don't expect everybody to respect the anointing on your life don't expect everybody even your next of kin and your kith and kindred to respect the oil of God upon your life and even if they don't respect it you must respect it because all that's necessary is for your agreement with God's agreement and what's meant to happen it's going to happen the bible says a man's gift will make room for him and bring him before great men, even kings. David had a multi-talented skill set. He could talk, he could fight, he could worship, he had courage, he had boldness, he had audacity. And he's called to the king's palace because the king is desperate for an answer. He has but a few hours before all of Israel becomes slaves to the Philistines. And one boy says, I can do it where nearly 600 warriors or 6,000 warriors never offered themselves, but a 16-year-old boy. And the boy tells the king, I can do this. I can do this. There's only one reason why David went to the palace because to go to battle, he had to have authorization. We talked about isolation, we talked about validation. And now with validation, he goes for authorization. King looked at him, and said, you are but a child. This man has been a warrior from when he was a child. Said, don't worry about it, King, this is my resume. By God's help, I killed the lion, I killed the bear, protecting my father's flock. There's no difference between that flock and this flock. That flock was my, fa- my earthly father's flock. This is my heavenly father's flock. As I protected those lambs in that flock, I will protect these lambs in this flock. He said, all right, you look like you got passion. And he did something significant. He took the king's armor and put it on David. David walked in it a while because God will make you familiar with where you're going to before you get there. Ah! I- And when David saw that I can't move in this, he gave it back quickly. I'm not ready for it yet. I'm anointed for it, but I'm not yet appointed for it. In other words, I realized that I still have process to go through. And he gave it back to the king. He said, I will use what I have proven. I didn't use this armor to kill a more ferocious beast than the giant called lion and another more ferocious beast than the giant called bear. And he went and fished for himself five smooth stones, one for each of the giants. And if he gets the first one, the other four will fall. Are you with me? I'm still going somewhere. So he has authorization and he goes. He gets to the battle. And Goliath says, what do you mean coming against me with sticks and stones? I'm going to deliver your head to the fowls of the air. David did not allow one of those words to hang in the air. Lest a demon or an angel takes it and uses it to rout David. David spoke back instantaneously. Never let what they have said hang in the air. Make sure you find a place to speak and proclaim quickly and declare the country. Say the opposite will happen. If have said on the country, it's your head that's going to the fowls of the air. David did not waste any time. He took his slingshot and he wound up his gift. Friend, you have to stir up your gifts. Don't let your gifts get cold in this corona pandemic lay down or shut down or slow down. Don't let your gifts slow down just because the economy slows down. When the kitchen gets tough, the tough get going. This is time to practice your gift. I've been practicing my gift in the backside of my bathroom from when I was a 21-year-old boy. I was preaching in my best suit the moment somebody gave me one and preaching my heart out to four walls in an empty apartment because practice makes perfect and you won't have time to practice when the shift and its lights come on so you better practice now that you have privacy you better practice now that you don't have an audience because if you're not perfect when the audience comes they're going to send you right back to the desert but hear me David wound up that gift and he slung that stone and it went straight to the giant's forehead and the giant, the Bible says, fell down face first. David didn't stop. David ran to him and took out the giant's sword because David had no sword and he, with one or two blows, he sliced the giant's head off his body and David immediately reached for the giant's head and his sword in the other hand till both his hands were dripping with blood and this is what he did and three to six thousand warriors started to roar my friend I don't know what it is that God's going to get you to do but you're going to get ahead in life even if it's Goliath's head and when you lift that up with the sword of the Lord and show Israel the victory you get with the sword of the Spirit the word of the Living God all Israel is going to roar courage will come back to the armies of God power will come back to the Israelite host glory will come back to the nation when one like you David Rises to declare wherever you are I want you to lift your two hands one has Goliath's head in it the other has the sword of the Lord in it because you're really anointed when you don't have any weapons but you can use the weapons of your enemy to rout the enemy that was trying to rout you the Bible tells us that the Israelites went after all the children of Israel of the Philistines, and they slew them that the slaying was so great that day, and not only that, what then subsequently happened, the spoil was so mighty. Now, listen carefully and sit for a moment. Sit for a moment. I want to talk to you. Listen carefully. Look at what happened. Look at what happened. In one day, in an actual moment of the shift. David a complete nobody, nobody knew his name in Israel. All of a sudden, he became the most celebrated warrior, celebrated man in the whole nation, and subsequently in all the nations around. Because the story of that battle will go to the Syrians, it will go to the Midianites, it will go to the Ishmaelites, it will go to the Philistines, it went around on one day. Why? Because he used his isolation for development. And God eventually gave him validation and then gave a king authorization to send him to the battle. And David emerged. That by the time they come back from the spoils, all the generals, chief of general staff, army staff, uh, special forces, seals, in array, David is in the center. He has the sword of Goliath and the evidence, Goliath's head in his hand. David has gone ahead in life. And the throng is so mighty as they're marching back to Jerusalem where the king's palace was. And who is in the center? A boy. Why did the boy have so much might? Because a king or a judge named Samuel who was prophet priest and had the anointing of king on him and it was the last head of government of Israel. He was the high priest and he was the prophet in the land all at the same time, the threefold anointing. At an old age God said, "You are not next." I want you to take your anointing. There's a boy in the bush and put your anointing on him. And here we have a real leader. His name is David of the house of Jesse from Bethlehem. Look at this. Anytime God wants to promote you, he always goes looking for an enemy for you. And the enemy will always stand in the matrix between where you are shifted from and where you are being shifted to. And unless you can bring down that enemy, you will not enter matrix and that's why I want to tell you friends you have to make the shift because if you miss the shift it's done and the shift is not coming we are in the moment of the shift right now David was in the right place at the right time he made the shift from shepherd boy to Shepherd of Israel he made the shift from shepherding sheep to shepherding nations he made the shift from being a nobody to becoming God's somebody And there were three important axioms. I might see more, and I want to share them with you in a way that will be most transformational for your life. And it's not about you. It's about what God does for you in such a powerful way that you can never go back to who you used to be before corona, and you will become all he wants you to be as a result of the shift. The shift is often precipitated by a cataclysm or catastrophe that's so pandemically global like what we're going through right now but hidden within its possibilities, is God's opportunity to shift you from what you used to be to what you're supposed to be. And so I wanna turn my attention to you. I want you to pray with me. The bold lion of the tribe of Judah wants to come and inhabit your heart because to cross over into the next dimensions of your life, you are going to have to have a boldness to go where others fear to go, to go where others have never gone before. Because in front of you, we are going to be facing so many unreferenced circumstances trials and tests we are in the region of the unprecedented we're now in a time where what used to work will not work and you're going to need to have the land of judah the christ of god living inside your heart it's a simple prayer i want you to pray it with me say heavenly father i thank you for jesus jesus i've tried to live my life by myself and it just doesn't work Come into my heart now. I believe you are the Savior, the Son of God, who died to give me new life and eternal life. Come into my heart now, O Lion of the tribe of Judah, and take over, take control of me and everything within me. That I'll have the new life, which is your life. In Jesus' name, and amen. If you prayed that prayer, and you believed it with your heart, I believe you are born again, and you are eternally saved by God. But we want you to properly understand that and we want to spend time with you. There's some numbers on the screen. We want you to text those numbers or call those numbers. And one of our counselors will reach out to you and share fellowship with you and uh, help you to find integration in a great Bible-believing church somewhere in the land where you live, whether it's in America or Africa or Australia. We have many friends around the world who pastor great churches. And we want you situated there. But if you're in Lagos, I-, I recommend so many churches, but I'd also like to recommend House on the Rock to you. For the rest of you, I want you to pray before we close. And it's a simple prayer. Simple prayer. God, build me. Just just pray that simple prayer. I know you're taking me through twists and turns, but build me. Build my ability to believe you. Second thing I want you to pray is, God, help my unbelief. Keep speaking to me. Your word says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And the third thing I want you to pray is, God, give me the spirit of audacity. Give me the spirit of boldness. Give me the spirit to know you. For the people that do know their God, they will be strong and they will do exploits.